Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I come to work with two hands every day and I'm trying to bless somebody. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. You can get on a podcast. You can get online. You can argue with the clouds. You can argue with the, with the Russian bots. Don't care. Good morning. It's Monday, September 26th. Welcome to the podcast sponsored by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation, the makers of Lecvio and Clizarin. Week three. Oh, boy. That was a wild ride. We got a couple of games left to go, but joining me to recap all of the week three Sunday games is the great Scott Pinowski. Scotty, week three definitely felt like the time where football reminded us, hey, you, you actually don't know anything. Yeah, this week, this week sucked. This week was sloppy. <laughs> this week was messy. This week got away from us. A lot of star players did not play well. A lot of the better performances were impossible to come up with, whether they were backups or they were career journeymen having big games. And maybe we were just teased. Maybe we were just spoiled in week one when like every receiver you'd ever want to play other than CD Lamb went ballistic. It's like, okay, I'm yeah. just going to roll out my best players. Uh, today, I came away feeling worse about many more teams than better. And look, some teams don't have their personnel right now. Every week is wonky and strange in the NFL. That's what the league is based on, variance. But this was easily the, again, the sloppiest, the messiest, the stinkiest of, of the first three weeks. And let's uh, let's dive headfirst into it. Yeah, let's dive right into it, man. And we'll start with Bills, Dolphins, Dolphins 21, Bills 19. Um, this game right away is is strange because, you know, number one, like if you're watching this game late in the contest, you know, it is hot as hell down there in Miami. The humidity is wild. Like you've got Bills players cramping up left and right. Like any of the snaps data, any of the routes run data for any of these Bills wide receivers is going to look a little weird because these guys were often on the field. We already knew Gabe Davis was banged up coming into this game too. Um, Steph Diggs consistently cramping. Isaiah McKenzie consistently cramping. Even some of the Miami guys were, you know, supposedly used to the weather and used to the climate down there are cramping off and on the field. So pretty wild stuff. (laughs) 90 plays for the Buffalo Bills in this one, 40 minutes and 40 seconds time of possession to 39 uh, plays for Miami, 19 minutes and 20 seconds time of possession. Scotty, where do you want to go with this one, man? Because, I mean, the Dolphins pull out the win, but it, uh, and they had uh, some weird stuff going on as well, including a Tua injury that we can talk about as well. Yeah, I think this actually is a tidy takeaway. You just kind of throw it out. This is not the time of year you want to play in Miami. 
Uh, Tua, you know, took that shot in the first half. We weren't sure if he'd even get back in the game. He was back in, but Miami wasn't running that offense that we saw the last couple of weeks with, with it maybe more aggressive. The game was close. I thought the Miami defense was excellent. Somehow Josh Allen threw for 400 yards and none of his receivers had a great game, which is really yeah. difficult to do. Congratulations if you were desperate enough to play Devin Singletary in this oh. game after he had done <laughs> nothing in two weeks. And then he had probably the best receiving game he'll have all season. Dawson Knox is still on a milk carton. Davis was kind of a, a decoy. So I, I just write this off to Miami's a player. They are competitive. You don't want to play these guys in September with the humidity is a problem. We didn't see the the normal version of Tua. Tyreek Hill was a non-factor in this game. Those are outliers. I'm still you waddle Tua Hill. I still feel the same way as I feel about them as I did before this week. I think Miami's defense is maybe a little bit better than I, than I think. I also think when they rematch, Buffalo will be ticked off and probably take them to the woodshed. But uh, oh, this yeah. just tells me that I don't want to go to Miami in September. Uh, and this Miami, this crowd was really loud too. I don't know if the microphones were set up a certain way to accentuate that, but you could tell this just felt like a game that was more important to Miami than it was to Buffalo. Not that Buffalo didn't try or anything, but this is, this could be the signature win of Miami season. You know, if we weren't going to say that a Buffalo won. That's what happens when one team is the Super Bowl favorite and one team isn't. So the Bills aren't going to be undefeated. Surprise, surprise. I don't think there are many things to change about how we felt about these teams. Just the game set up for it to be kind of a slog. Again, Allen threw for 400. It didn't never felt like he threw for 400. Just the volume, the sheer number of snaps, as you mentioned. I think it's going to be get back to business as usual for, for Buffalo going forward. And we'll see better days from Miami, even though they got this win. I don't think it was their best foot either. Yeah, certainly not. Um, I would say that the Bills sure seem like I would I would disagree with you a little bit that this felt like a highly emotional contest on both sides of it, maybe just by the end of it, because I mean, did you see Ken Dorsey absolutely going berserk in the coaching box? Have you seen the the clip of this? He like slams his play sheet down, he like slams his headset down. All like so he seemed pretty pissed, the offensive coordinator for the Bills, of course. Josh Allen too had a pretty emotional moment. So it seems like thing it seemed like things got pretty intense for both teams at the end. Um, but yeah, it was just a strange game. I think the frustration for the Bills probably set in with having their guys coming off and on the field. Gabe Davis, you mentioned it was a little bit of a decoy, although he did have a touchdown grab go just through his hands at the very, very end of it. So he almost is all the way back. Um, you know, Isaiah McKenzie looked good in relief duty. It was just a, a strange game overall for the Bills, but two takeaways on the Miami side. One, if you thought there was any clarity in the backfield of like, oh, well, Mostert got the, the duties last week. He's probably the guy going forward. Not really. Eight touches for Mostert, seven for Edmonds. He, Edmonds also got the goal line carries, which is not really um, what we would normally assume from him. And then on Miami's side, too, I, I got to say, man, like I'm so grateful to um, Mike McDaniel and this uh, Dolphins coaching staff. They've, get, they've got Jalen Waddle all the way out of that like goofball pop gun role that he was in yeah. last year. 103 air yards easily led the team for Jalen Waddle on, on a day that they did not pass. I didn't, I don't have a lot of Jalen Waddle teams because I was scared of what this offense would look like. I thought it would be run heavy. It has been anything but run heavy. Um, I'm not, wasn't, you know, totally sold on Tua. We're still kind of figuring out how good Tua is throughout the course of this year. I, I really got the Jalen Waddle thing wrong, despite the fact that I love the player. I should have just thrown out his usage from last year because that was, it's just not his skill set at all. And it's good that this coaching staff is seeing that. Very well said. When I did my redraft last uh, Wednesday, I had Waddle in the top two rounds and just nice to see his expanded route tree and 
it was just all those bubble screens, all those zero A dot passes last year, negative A dot passes. Nobody wanted to see that. We all, we all knew Waddle could be much more than that. And I don't need to go over all the terrain you covered. I'm just going to agree with it. Also, congratulations to Miami. Despite smacking their lineman in the butt with a punt, um, you know, I, th- I thought they'd <laughs> yeah. blown the game when they did yeah. that. The safety now all Buffalo needs is a field goal. They have a good kicker, and they couldn't get in the field goal range. Also, if you have Tua, you t- again you take this game with a grain of salt. Just the way the kind of the game played out and everything. But if Miami's defense is going to be good, I mean, Tua got all that glorious fourth quarter production last week. But if Miami's defense is going to be average or above average, maybe it caps Tua's upside. Maybe they, they, as much as they do want to be aggressive with Hill and Waddle, maybe they want to throw it 30 times a week, not 42, 45 times a week. I just traded for Tua in a league where I had Herbert. I was 0-2. I, I felt like I needed to make a move. I wasn't sure if Herbert was going to play. You could argue he probably shouldn't have played. We'll talk about that later. But I was hoping to see this to be like, a, you know, all all hands on tech, air it out. You know, Tua throws 43 passes. You know, he did half of that. Maybe it was the game situation. Maybe they didn't want to expose him to too much after he left. I mean, should he have even gone back in the game? Who's to say? But yeah, um, it's it's hard to know. It, it's funny how this is the year where it's the referendum on Tua, and we still really don't know. I, I, he's got two great receivers, and I like his coaching staff. I still don't know how good Tua Tagovailoa is, and maybe we'll just be saying that for most of the season. Yeah, the NFLPA has told the NFL it wants to initiate a review of the concussion protocols in light of Tua's return to that game. Um, you know, it was. We'll, we'll see what comes of that. Uh, but yeah, you can definitely ask, like, should he have really ever come back to that game? All right, next game up: Ravens thirty-seven, Patriots twenty-six. Hey, this was yet another game that the Ravens really tried to make interesting at the end. Um, I'll, I'll credit Mac Jones for a couple of great moments and a couple of weird moments there towards the end. But the one takeaway for me coming out of this game is. I'm glad that we can talk about this because, frankly, we should have been able to talk about it last week if the defense didn't blow it at the end. But Lamar Jackson might be playing his best football. You know, like he's making his 2019 MVP campaign look like light work compared to what he's doing right now. Four passing touchdowns in this game. He has another rushing touchdown, 9.7 yards per carry. Um, A lot of it was Mark Andrews, man. I mean, he like dominated the air yards, dominated the target share. Um, Rashad Bateman was kind of a ghost for most of this game, but he was the number two guy in terms of target share with 14%. Um, He's still kind of playing like only on 75% of the dropbacks in terms of his routes and stuff like that. But this was mostly the Bateman and Andrews show, but it's like Lamar Jackson right now just playing at the height of his powers, really. Well said. There are, after this week, there are very few players I feel like you can point to and say, yeah, like this guy looks like a right answer this year. Like uh, Cooper Cups for sure looks like a right answer. Lamar Jackson might be the rightest answer in fantasy. And it's so unusual for that to be a quarterback because usually it's like, okay, what running back is blowing everybody out of the water? What receiver is – and again, if you could say anything nice you want to say about Cop, although you had to draft him in the top four. He might have gone as early as number one or number two in some drafts. If you walked into a draft with the plan to get Lamar Jackson, you might have him on all your teams because you knew about when you had to act. You knew he was screened. Allen would go before him. Herbert went before him in a fair amount of leagues. Some people were going to wait around for Hertz. Some people were going to wait around for Trey Lance. There were dopes like me who still believed in people like Russell Wilson. I I hope that sounds stupid on Monday morning after Russell Wilson said a breakout (laughs) game. I'm worried after the first two weeks of what they've shown. But Lamar Jackson is, despite not the most impressive guys to throw to. We, we do like Bateman. He was on your second-year receiver list to get, and he's been fine. I'd like to see his participation go up. Maybe Same, that's yeah. coming. Obviously, he had a partial rookie season, so maybe they don't want to expose him to too much. Devernay's been more involved than I thought. 
And Mark Andrews is one of the few tight ends in a year that so far has been very messy for tight end. He's one of the few tight ends who's justifying his keep. But let's be fair about this. It, it, you know, Dobbins did very little in his first game back. It's so hard to trust the guy. You need that prove it game a lot of times. He only got a handful of carries. Whatever, Justice Hill looked good in some runs. I, I never think they're going to trust him with a lot of volume. Right now, Lamar Jackson is, they should be 3-0. They had really had no right losing that Miami game. You know, week two was all about the comebacks. He's the best player in the league right now. He's the MVP of the league right now. He bet on himself. He's put the risk out there. I'm sure he has you know insurance on some level. But if Lamar, there aren't a lot of right answers right now. I don't think we go the very deep with it, but one of the right answers plays quarterback. And it's not often we say that. Encouraging on the other side, last week, even though Harris had more touches, Ramondre Stevenson had more field appearance. He had four field presence. He had more snaps. And so you wonder, well, when is that actually going to turn into something actionable for fantasy? This week it did got in the end zone, was involved in the passing game. He was involved in a two-point conversion that ultimately was washed away. It would have been him throwing a two-point conversion to Mac Jones. We have to check Mac Jones' status. He may not be available for week four, which would kind of submarine the whole Patriots. What a shame. A week after 14 targets for for Kobe Myers, you couldn't play in this game. But the one good thing I think you can feel good about with the Patriots is that Stevenson, at least the arrow's pointing upward. Has he taken over? No. Is he going to shove Harris out of the way? No. But at least the arrow's pointing upward with the the snaps with the usage, we know that Montgomery's out of the mix now. And I feel that the Patriots, deep down, if you gave them truth serum, not that they dislike Harris. I think they think Stevenson is the guy with the higher upside here. He's certainly the younger back. He's earlier in his contract life. I think Stevenson's really close to becoming somebody who we can set and forget as like a, a running back two. And, and maybe, who knows, maybe he could even become a running back one at the uh, you know, in a month or so. Just arrow pointed up. I know it was rocky going. I know a lot of people probably didn't have him activated this week, but at least things are pointing in the right direction. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is kind of what I thought the Patriots running back rotation would kind of look like, like these two guys would be alternating. And you know, if we can get this backfield to just down to these two guys, like not have a third player like mixing in there, it's going to be really good for fantasy. Like, I also think that they got what they wanted out of the out of like the Devonte Parker acquisition in this game. Um, I don't know if I'm buying it for fantasy. We also have to remember that the Ravens secondary, we just talked about them blowing all those coverages to the Dolphins. I think that is still a unit that's figuring it out. But I thought that Mac Jones was aggressive in targeting Devonte Parker in tight coverage deep down the field because that is the Devonte Parker game like he's never going to be a Jacoby Myers guy that just gets open in the short to intermediate areas you're going to have to use him in this way but then you see the results like 156 yards for Devonte Parker on 10 targets like that can be a huge win for the Patriots offense so look I've been super skeptical about this offense for a long time but I have also said that if you squint at it like the personnel kind of makes sense together. Like a, a Jacoby Myers fits with a Devontae Parker type receiver. These two running backs can really complement each other's styles. Mac Jones, I, I you know, he made some mistakes today for sure, you know, um, but really fought hard in this game, like ran aggressively too at times with some scrambles. Uh, I think that the Patriots can sort of figure it out so that where they're not like a, like a situation where the last couple of recap podcasts, we've been like, don't even touch anything from this offense. So there were a couple promising signs today. I mean, it's, those are all fair points, but I just feel like there's, there's something they missed that lead front man in this passing game. It's uh, yeah, you, know, you can tell me, you can tell me the pizzas get great sauce and great dough, but there's no cheese here. You know, it's not a pizza. Um, yeah. Last week it was Aguilar. This week it was Parker. Maybe and obviously the fourteen targets last week for Myers. The tight ends kind of cannibalize each other. The upside of Mac Jones is pretty modest as it is, and right now he may be hurt. So um, 
New England is not, they are, I ranked all the offenses for fantasy usefulness before the season. I'm going to revisit that quarterly. They're still going to be a bottom five offense for me. I agree with you. Um, all right. One thing I am very, very sure about coming out of Eagles 24, Commanders 8. Like, I've seen enough. I think the Eagles might be right now. Some of these other contenders in the NFC can get right. You know, like Green Bay can get right at certain points. Tampa Bay is certainly going to get healthier as the year goes on. Um, some of these NFC West teams, like um, the Rams, I think, are still sort of figuring things out. So, like, this statement might not hold for, for on balance for the rest of the year. But right now, I don't think there is a more dangerous offense in the NFC and a better offense, frankly, for fantasy than the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts, talk about a right answer, Scott. Like, if you if you drafted Jalen Hurts, because you didn't have to spend, like, Josh Allen or even Lamar Jackson draft capital to get him, but he's been a huge right answer. And the two receivers, I'm, put, I'm putting it in, too. And, and they have other threats beyond these guys. But, like, A.J. Brown, if you just silence the noise about like old oh, the Eagles were dead last in targets last year and just bought, bought in on the talent. You're you're way ahead right now. Cause Brown has been awesome. He's been a right answer. Devonte Smith. If you didn't panic about that zero catch game in week one, he was incredible in this game. Like it, his two biggest plays, the touchdown and then that deep reception came on contested passes. You know, oh, the BMI tweets, where are those, you know, at this point with Devonte Smith, like, this offense, and that's just three guys. They have other dudes in this offense. This offense looks like one of the best fantasy ecosystems, period, right now. I'm going to share all your optimism. If you were given the free mortgage bet on the NFC Super Bowl representative, I think right now you would have to take Philadelphia. Their schedule is so easy. It's possible. Remember, they get the AFC South. It's possible they could be favored the rest of the season. A lot will depend on when they go to Dallas. If Is Dak Prescott back? What version of the Cowboys are they playing then? They're going to play the Colts on the road. And, you know, the Colts did get off the mat today with a big win over Kansas City. So we, we have to kind of reevaluate and at least respect the Colts on some level. But Philly's going to be favored over a bunch of teams, which is why I thought their defense was a great add today. They sacked Carson Wentz nine times. It felt like 29 times. Oh, Man, my was, God, I, yeah. And for a 24-8 game, this felt, this felt like 40-8. to eight. This felt like 40-2. to two. Right, that they did get that safety in there, but it did not feel at all competitive. And the one thing we've wanted from Hertz, great runner, great athlete, he's becoming a better passer. It's like, well, you know, what's with this one touchdown a week stuff? Can we get a little more of that through the air? Well, he does. What, what does he do today? He throws three, and he throws to all the main guys, right? And not not he didn't throw any to Quez Watkins or anybody like that. You know, <laughs> the, he throws one to AJ. He, he throws one to Goddard. He throws one to Smith who, as you mentioned, not only was he terrific today, he was actually really good on Monday night. You just yeah. could accept receiver is a boom-bust position. It's a high-variance position. And even with that established, Devonta Smith is an extremely high-variance player, the type of routes he runs. And you talk about teams fitting. Like You talked about the fit of the different Patriot receivers and how their skills fit. A, a very similar situation, except that everybody's more talented. Yeah, this is, is the, the good e version of that, this right? This is the great version. <laughs> this is the great version of that. And allow myself to just you want to throw up again that the Patriots could have drafted A.J. Brown, but they thought oh, Nikhil yeah. Harry was the guy. Brown and Metcalf and McLaurin, and you're sick of me saying all this stuff. Oh, Debo Samuel's pretty <laughs> freaking good, too. But I love the way this team is constructed and how they complement each other and how they threaten you horizontally and vertically with an ascending talent, a quarterback, and oh, by the way, probably the best offensive line in football. And their pass rush was a beast yeah. today. Yeah. The only thing I'm going to say negative about the Eagles, and these are real nitpicks. One is this game should have been more lopsided in the final score than it was. And two, they had a fourth and short where they went for it. That's good. We we talk about this every week. Like the Colts did this recently. They had a fourth and goal. They went for it. That's good. And they called like a horrible burn that play. I think Naheem Hines got a direct snap. 
What did the Eagles do? They ran jet sweep action to Zach Pascal. You have a million superstars on your offense. And look, mate, you're just trying to outcute yourself, although never see it coming. You know, the design of the play yeah. will win. Nick Sariani, don't don't do that. You have yeah, you on. have Hurts, you have Miles Sanders. If you want to throw the ball, you have three dynamic playmakers who can threaten every inch of real estate on the field. I mean, you know, Zach Pascal deserves to be on your roster, special teams, fourth or fifth receiver. That, that's fine with me. Don't give him the ball in fourth and one. That's that's silly. Now, on the other side, I wanted to see Washington fight back. They didn't fight back. We saw the yeah. bad Wentz. His offensive line kind of sold him down the river. At least Terry McLaurin showed up late because I'm really worried. They're using Curtis Samuel so much that I'm, I'm just worried that I drafted McLaurin one slot ahead of where he fits in fantasy. Eventually, they're going to get Brian Robinson back. I, I'm kind of not sure what to do with Wentz. I, I feel like every time you watch them play, less today than the first two games, if you watch the wrong 10 or 15 minutes, you'll think this is one yes. of the five worst teams in the league. You watch the right five or 10 minutes, you'll talk yourself into Scott Turner as being a head coach someday. So today it was more certainly of, of the first thing where they didn't really look good. But I, I worry that McLaurin, I've overslotted where I drafted him. It was frustrating to see Wentz play this bad. We, like, I promoted the Eagles as a pickup. I thought it was more game flow, leverage. I didn't think the defense had nine sacks in them. Maybe I underestimated Wentz partially, although they were getting home with four, rush four too, Matt. It wasn't like they were, you know, this wasn't Jim Johnson's Eagles, right, where they're bringing the house and they're, they're winning that way. They were like, okay, we'll step back in coverage. Nobody's open and one of our four guys will get home. Where are we on the Washington team after they showed us you know, they, they kind of showed us their, you know, their worst side today. Yeah, I think if you look at the two opponents that Washington went up, like, and Jacksonville certainly deserves our our respect, and they're much better than we thought. Um, yes, but sir. still, I think that from just a level of contention standpoint, like, I think, like I said, I think the Eagles are legit. Like, I think they're one of the three best teams in the NFC right now. And I, I might be shortchanging me by saying that. I think you could easily argue that right now they're the best team in the NFC, um, just based on the way they've played, based on the way they look, the upside of this team overall. And this is just Washington going against a team that's they're just not built to handle. Um, and this is this game though is going to be part of the range of outcomes for Carson Wentz every single week. And like, I think you said it perfectly that even in the first two weeks you watch one drive and you're like, Oh, Holy hell. Like all of my priors are negative priors are confirmed on Carson Wentz. And sometimes you watch me like, ah, he's really making it work in this offense. So that's just going to be part of the Wentz experience this year. Um, if there's any solace from like a fantasy angle, you know, the ball went to the guys that we want, even in like a horrific game script, nine targets for Terry McLaurin, 10 targets for Curtis Samuel, nine targets for JD McKissick, whatever, uh, eight targets for Jahan Dotson. The results were not there for Dotson, um, two for 10. Um, but Samuel still caught seven passes. McLaurin goes for over a hundred yards. Like, I think this is just one of those, like, yeah, these games are always going to be in the range of outcomes when Wentz goes up against a good pass rush. It's also a team, obviously, that, you know, is familiar with him. Um, there's still some connective tissue on that roster, obviously, in the front office, et cetera. So that is worth remembering as well with Wentz, too. Um, I just think, like, these disasters are always going to be part of his range of outcomes. All right, next game up, we got Colts 20, Chiefs 17. Oh, man, a couple times, Scott, I was like, Jelani Woods, is that Moali Cox? No, it's Jelani Woods. So the Moali Cox uh, bandwagon remains in the garage. That's not happening. Um, this one, you know, again, this is another time. Like, you you look at Matt Ryan 
watching one drive, you might be like, is that my, you know, is that my grandpa playing quarterback out there? Like he looks totally cooked. Other times the offense is moving fine. You know, Michael Pittman gets back out there, gets nine targets, gets catches, eight catches on those nine targets. Like Michael Pittman's an every week start at this point. Like I don't need to be having Michael Pittman in your start sit questions. If he's out there playing, you're playing him. Uh, Jonathan Taylor gets 20 touches. I think the more interesting conversation is on, on the chiefs because the analysis coming into this game was, oh, you know, Patrick Mahomes against that cover three defense. Tank Williams and I talked about it on the on the week three preview. You know, Gus Bradley, he he tore these guys up when he played them uh, when when Bradley was coaching with the Raiders last year. That did not come to fruition this week. Um, it, it, this looked, you know, it was not it was not as explosive from the Kansas City offense. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I felt like the, the Chiefs were trying to give this game to Indianapolis all day. And the Colts huffed and puffed and and crept over the wire and somehow won 2017. But I I didn't come away feeling good about either one of these teams. I mean, the, the third tight end that you would have started for the Colts catches both the touchdowns. Pittman's great. I still think Jonathan Taylor is a top three, top four player in the league. Yeah. And if I were redrafting right now, I would still consider him number one, even though I'm worried about the infrastructure. But I'm concerned that Ryan looks old to me and yeah. does this zip off his fastball. A lot of it feels like throws are like a half beat late or a half beat. You know, maybe just a little bit less MPH, a little bit less oomph on the throws than they really need. I was hoping maybe Ashton Doolin would do something in this game. He did nothing. Pittman was fine. They got Alex Pierce back, who's an interesting player. You, you've mentioned is, him yes. before in the past. I think they need him. And you look at the Chiefs. I mean, I mean, look, Mahomes is great. Kelsey's great. Nobody needs any help with them. But Edwards Alaire had touchdown deodorant. That's all he had today with seven carries for no yards. There's no for all the talk we had of oh maybe McKinnon's the, the stash here or maybe it's Pacheco or yeah, maybe it's nobody right uh, Juju's becoming kind of an empty PPR source but you never expect him to score a touchdown uh, somebody tried to offer me a uh, McCole Hardman as a throw in a trade this week which just made me angry I, I, I didn't want to talk to that guy anymore you know, don't <laughs> uh, don't offer to throw up McCole Hardman you bump people offline I got bumped offline with that Kansas City will be back. They're, they're still a good team in the AFC. They're, they're not the kingpins, and they're not as good as Buffalo. They may not be as good as some other teams. Even though the Colts won this game, it was a kitchen sink game for them. They absolutely had to have it. I came away thinking, yeah, I still like Taylor. Yeah, I still like Pittman. I don't trust – I mean, you know, Pierce might be interesting later, but I'm afraid Matt Ryan has no upside. And what I thought about the Chiefs a month ago – they're going to win this division easily. There's no good teams right now. The Jaguars, to me, look like the team I don't want to play in yeah. this division. Tennessee's rebuilding. Again, a great Mike Vrabel game today, Kitchen Sink. They did some good things today, but they're not a great team. The Texans aren't a great team. Jacksonville's kind of the fun, the, the, the little hipster team now, and I can't wait to talk about their game. Although we'll end up complaining about the Chargers for a while, too. <laughs> but it's funny how the Colts, you would think, oh, the Colts beat the Chiefs. You must, you must feel pretty good about the Colts. I don't. I don't feel pretty good about the Colts. I think Matt Ryan could submarine this offense. Matt Ryan right now ranks 32nd out of 32 starting quarterbacks in terms of EPA per dropback when he's under pressure. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the problem with Matt Ryan right now that a lot, a lot of the analysis was always going from an infrastructure that was kind of falling apart in Atlanta, especially from a pass protection standpoint, to a team that usually has its offensive line figured out. This offensive line is not figured out for sure. Even some of their guys that they expect to be playing well are not playing that well right now, and they're also trying to break in new players as well. So there's a lot of problems there. And and just like when Matt Ryan is under pressure, when when this when the play goes off script, it's DOA. It's dead on arrival with Ryan back there. I mean, because he just offers nothing in terms of improvisational. He offers nothing in terms of like playing left handed. 
And I think that that it's always always a house of cards, right, Scott, when you play with any sort of guy who isn't even like isn't even in the same galaxy in terms like you watch Matt Ryan play quarterback right now. And then you watch like Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts play quarterback. And you're like, what? These guys aren't even playing the same sport. Right. So just when anything goes off script for Indianapolis, Matt Ryan's not going to be able to um, to figure it out there. But I think from a fantasy angle. Pittman's fine. Taylor's fine. Those are the guys we really count on. And and the other pieces, I think, will just like sometimes Ashton Doolin's going to pop up. Sometimes Jelani Woods is going to pop up. Alec Pierce might eventually pop up, you know, at some point. But none of these guys are really like I, I don't think will ever be even in the flex discussion, uh, it, it, especially with Matt Ryan playing like this on the Kansas City side. I'm I'm glad you brought up um, Juju because. Look, I I feel like we're waiting. I was kind of waiting to have this discussion with Justin Jefferson just because he's like an easy example into it. But there was so much like juju panic after his game against the Chargers on Thursday night. But his first two get like his first game, his third game have been fine. Like if you can't ride the waves at the wide receiver position, like I I don't know what to tell you, man. Like you can't draft Cooper Cup at all three of your starting wide receiver spots. Like there's going to be ups and downs to the position. Like show me the wide receiver that is going to be consistent from one to 18, like every single week. It's just not going to happen, especially when you draft a guy like, certain players we'll talk about DJ Moore. Like I get why DJ Moore is tilting because he's done nothing and it's been three weeks and you spent an early pick on him. But like, I don't need to be hearing about consistency complaints from guys that were drafted in like rounds five and beyond, because like, it's just sometimes you end up landing. Amon Ross St. Brown, but most times you don't. Yeah. If those players had consistency coming into the season, they would have been second or third round picks, right? They would have gone where, where, you know, maybe Jalen Waddle went or somebody like that. Mike Williams, guys like that. Um, so it's even like Williams, even Mike Williams had a two catch 10 yard game in week one. Like nobody, it's just, it's, it's like, oh, you know, Alan Robinson again, we'll talk about him later, but people are like, oh, he, he just has no floor. It's like, well, yeah, everybody's got it. Every wide receiver has a two catch floor, like literally just about everybody. I mean, I guess the bottom line is there's target ownership for Juju and we don't pass him. We don't really know. I mean, I'm curious to see when a year where so many rookie receivers have popped, the Chiefs haven't really figured out what to do with Sky Moore yet. I'm yeah. curious to see if he could be one of those. Oh, okay, people finally gave up. He got dropped. Now he he had a couple of good games. Maybe he could be a second half answer. I, you you want to certainly be attuned to what's going on with him. I've given up on Hardman. I, I just don't think there's any upside there. You, you make you make a fair point on Juju. I, I just worry that at the end of the season, even an Andy Reid offense, we might be looking at five or six touchdowns. I think, yeah, I think you're probably right there. Um, but then it's just like, who's going to catch the touchdowns in this offense? Is it just all going to be, is Travis Kelsey going to have uh, like 17 or something like that? I, I don't know, man. It, it, you're you're right that Sky Moore, I, I still, you know, he muffed a punt today. That's not, uh, that's not great. But um, I do want to keep an eye on him because the longer he doesn't get on the field, the weirder it becomes, even though I did expect a slow developmental curve for him because he's coming from like Western Michigan. Um, so yeah, just keep your eye on that because he's a guy that who, who could change the way this offense looks. Let's are we green about- light? Are we green light, red light or yellow light on CEH? Uh, yeah. Uh, yellow light. I think, um, you know, he, he's going to have, he did have a lot of touchdown deodorant on him. You're hundred percent right about that. Then we see today, like he he can really have kind of that scary ish floor. So, if you were going to sell high on him after week two with all those touchdowns, I think that made a lot of sense. If you didn't sell high on him, you held him on your roster. Like he's gonna, I, I think he'll have some whatever weeks, but he's just never going to be. I like I don't ever see him being a 
like a, a set it and forget it full-time running back. But again, that's kind of, he was drafted with those expectations. That's okay. There aren't a lot of set it and forget it running backs, but we're going to get to one of my favorite ones, I think, in this next game. Yeah, let's talk about it. Vikings 28, Lions 24. Man, Jamal Williams shows up with 22 touches, 107 total yards, two rushing touchdowns. I occasionally reference this one dynasty team where um, my running back two position is always just in absolute chaos. Like I have CMC as my RB one and then the, just a revolving door, baby. I can never seem to land one guy to be at that running back two spot. Today's honoree, baby. Nobody cares about my fantasy, team, but today's honoree for that running back two spot was Jamal Williams, Scotty. So I felt really good about this one. Every week, double digit carries in the bank, all the goal line equity. It's not, it's not like Goff's running them in. It's not like they give Swift the, the ball at the goal line. And Detroit, perhaps in a misguided way, when they're trying to run the clock and salt this game away, they treated Williams like he was like Earl Campbell, 1978, dated reference. I mean, you, you want you want to go with Jerome Bettis? Maybe it's a dated reference too. Whatever your favorite power back is, the, the good days of Todd Gurley. I don't, I don't know. Fill in whatever blank you <laughs> yeah. want. But the bottom line is this: Williams has double digit carries every week in his back pocket. He he's not a nothing in the passing game, and he's the automatic goal line option for a team that has probably top five offensive line. They're really creative in their run game. They're playing a lot of games that feature scoring. He's he's somebody, and I don't have a lot, and you might think, like, oh, I'm victory lapping Jamal Williams. I'm not sure if I have him anywhere. If I do, it's like on one team I've probably forgotten about because it's on a provider I never use. I don't know. I wasn't proactive about this before the season. I have other guys on the, on the Lions. I've, I've Goff and St. Brown and you know, I'm, it's they, they played a very Lionsy game, right? They covered, found a way to lose. There are a lot of fantasy points, although not as many, maybe as many as we thought. The the kickers had kind of a misathon for a while. But Jamal Williams, man, I'll, I'll tell you, here's the thing. I don't know if you can do this trade, but if you could trade CEH for Jamal Williams, I might even throw in a little bit more. Yeah, I think Jamal Williams is going to be a very rare, consistent player because his team loves him, and he's got a very secure, carved-out role with volume. And... He's going to score 15, 16 touchdowns. They want him to. They don't want the other guys to score the touchdowns. They did have Hawkinson get one today, but he hasn't really been unlocked. He's been a disappointment through three weeks. Yeah, no. uh, I wish I had Jamal Williams on all my teams. 15 touchdowns is aggressive, but he's going to score a lot of touchdowns. And I'm with you on just every, about everything you said there because – Jamal Williams is coach's catnip, okay? And this is like this go. is like the third this is the third staff that has felt this way by the way cuz he did this with the Mike McCarthy Packers, he did this with the Matt LaFleur Packers, like the guy gets on the field because, and it's not just like so. It's not just like the corny. People think Dan Campbell's corny, and like Jamal Williams is a really fiery player too. It is not even just that. It's because he's just reliable. He's good in pass protection. He's not going to f it up when he gets in there for the most part. Fantasy players don't love guys like this because I'm sure there's you know DeAndre Swift managers that are tearing their hair out listening to this podcast. Like, what about me? What about me? What about me? DeAndre Swift also he deals with these injuries as well. We know that so. Williams, it's like, okay, are we going to – this is probably smart coaching, honestly, by Ben Johnson and Dan Campbell on the offensive side to say we're not going to go out there and just slam DeAndre Swift just because he's, quote, active. You know, he's he's playing because we have Jamal Williams, who's a solid, you know, B-minus type of running back, and we can get a good data. So I agree with you. Like, he's the type of guy – you want on your roster because also by the way that if deandre swift ever suffers like a serious injury you know then we're then we're talking about like jamal williams is a potential top 15 fantasy back because this offense is much better yeah he's the spirit animal of this team and I, I forget it kills me i can't remember who said this who's in our twitter orbit it might have been mcfarland it might have been hart hits it uh, it might have been evan silva 
But so much of fantasy at running back is figuring out the usage where so much of fantasy at receiver and where your your stuff comes into play with reception perception is figuring out the skills and the true talent level. And because we can give such a meaty set of usage, projectable usage to Williams every week, it doesn't matter how good he is. It doesn't matter what he ran at the combine or how he tested in Indianapolis or any of that stuff. It matters that they utilize him a certain way. And utilization is the key to cracking the code at running back. Amon Ross St. Brown turns in six catches on nine targets, 73 yards. Um, still made a couple of awesome plays. Was pretty close to scoring a touchdown. Also suffered an injury at one point this game and got back out there. So um, keep that in mind when, you know, you're you're pissed that he only caught six passes, by the way. It's fine. He only caught six passes. Um, we can move to the Viking side because I think that's a little more interesting. The, they win the game. You know, KJ Osborne pops up. Adam Thielen. I called Adam Thielen dusty on FFL. Uh, he slammed it right back in my face with the with the receiving with touchdown. that one yard touchdown catch, Matt. Dude, <laughs> boy, did you feel embarrassed? I was. That's what Adam Thielen I, does, man. Nobody scores I, a one yard touchdown. He'd be like the closer in baseball. Comes in with a three run lead and you know allows three hits. And they they win the, by one. He's the Jamal Shake Williams hands. of. Uh, he's the Jamal Williams, uh, the goal line back of, of wide receivers. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I, I think I was a little disrespectful on Adam Thielen to, for me to say that about Adam Thielen. But Justin Jefferson's really the interesting one. Um, to talk about here because, you know, I said, oh, you can't draft Cooper Cup at your three wide receiver spots. By the way, Cooper Cup only caught four passes today for 44 yards or something like that. He just happened to score a rushing touchdown because he's just he's just God, apparently. But, you know, whatever. Um, Justin Jefferson so far on the year after co- sort of being pitched as like, oh, he's going to have the Cooper Cup role. Justin Jefferson definitely does not have the Cooper Cup role, but I'm not quite sure what role he has in this offense either. Just a 25.7% target share on the season. Some other guys are popping up. 8.9 air yards per target for Justin Jefferson, so it's not like he's being used down the field. But he's certainly not their primary slot guy, right? Like 58.4% of the snaps in the slot for KJ Osborne. Jefferson's not been getting those layup looks, but he's also not quite getting like enough juice down the field either. So I'm not sitting here saying like, let's panic about Justin Jefferson or anything like that. But I certainly think that it's just a reminder that you've got to have the fortitude to deal with the waves at the wide receiver position. Cause literally everybody has peaks and valleys for sure. That said, man, I was ready. I was ready to follow Justin Jefferson into a burning building two weeks ago. I wrote off <laughs> yeah. the Philadelphia game because slay is just so good. But when the lions, shut you down or, or maybe maybe the minnesota coaching staff shut him down as you said he's not getting the layup targets i wanted to believe after that first game that it wasn't just because jefferson's a unique talent which he is it wasn't just because cousins is a good enough quarterback and he's a good connection with jefferson that's all true but i wanted to believe that we coaching staff from the rams tree we saw Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's great, but one reason why he broke fantasy last year is the Rams designed an offense that makes Cooper Cup the basically the center point of almost every passing snap. And I was hoping that the Vikings were going to do something similar to that. Maybe I had unrealistic expectations. If I had walked into a draft after week one, you know, with you or Frank Schwab or somebody like that, and it would be it had been a Cup or Jefferson argument, I, I don't know which way I would have gone. I might have said Cup. I might have said Jefferson. That sounds comically wrong now. Because I just wonder if maybe Minnesota, and this is a guess, we, we don't know. I mean, Jefferson could easily go, you know, 11, 193, and 3 next week, and it'll be like, oh, remember when you were worried about Jefferson for a hot minute? Yeah. But I thought maybe he could be just, justly the number one receiver on the board. Right now, I would have to give that the cup. I would have to – maybe Diggs right now, I think, is, yeah. is more bankable than Jefferson. Better quarterback play, right? And maybe the 
the Bills are more target heavy with with Diggs. Maybe that target floor is higher than Jefferson every week. The fact that this has happened twice and the Vikings won this game, Irv Smith's starting to pop a little bit. Uh, it was nice of KJ Osborne to not be covered by the Lions on that game winning touchdown. Just an absolute giveaway and breakdown. But I'm a little I'm a little concerned in Jefferson only because I thought he was going to like throw 1815 at the world. And, and right now, I think I have to scale back expectations just a little bit. He's still a top of the fold first round pick. But I was a little bit higher on him two weeks ago. I, I'm a human being. I have to admit that. I'm with you, man. I mean, I was saying like, oh, yeah, he's he's going to compete for 2000 receiving yards this season. Well, he's really fallen off that pace the last couple of weeks after really, you know, pumping it up in week one. So but the thing is, I'm I want to make it clear. I blame none of this on him. None of it. Yeah, I I, I think you could unfair. I, maybe I need to really look at, the, at, at some of the secondary tape to say that. But yeah, I think you could make some complaint. I don't I obviously haven't grinded the all 22 of this game, but I think if you watch like the. Even watching some of the 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 Eagles Vikings game live, like I think you can make some, like I, I'm not saying it's, I mean, that was an all time bad Kirk primetime game, um, Kirk Cousins primetime game, but still I think you could sure a little blame it Justin Jefferson. Um, just last point on this, like again to bring it back to this whole idea that Justin Jefferson is going to be put in the Cooper Cup role. There has now at this point not been any like I've I've been saying for like the last five years with Cooper Cup before he became like. Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, like this guy in fantasy when he was just when he was just another one of these like yeah pretty pretty solid wide receiver two low end one type of guys. He has the most unique role in the entire NFL, and uh, you know I talk about like buying into the archetype of guys like Amon Ross St. Brown. He's probably the closest guy that actually legitimately has a role like Cooper Cup in the NFL right now. Other than that, it's pretty much just one dude. Cooper Cup doing Cooper Cup things. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is is getting close to being like a wide receiver one in that archetype, but it's just very few guys, and it does not look like Justin Jefferson is going to be that guy. And he's still it says again that says nothing about him as a player. It's just the role. It's it's very different for these guys. If we redrafted, where does DeAndre Swift belong right now? Uh, I feel like kind of where I had him, like early round two, maybe if you're really aggressive late round one. You'd still but, take him early in round two, even though he's got uh, yeah. no touchdown equity at the goal line. I, I think so. Um, just because he's so explosive, like he can he can get there without being like a goal line back. And I just really like this offense for fantasy. Like as we've talked about many times, you know, um, DeAndre Swift still ran a ton of routes today. Like while we're talking about Jamal Williams having this awesome game, uh, 24 routes for DeAndre Swift. Obviously, it only turns into four targets. He didn't touch the ball that much. Um, the only thing I think is the biggest concern for me is not the touchdowns. It's it's the injuries. Like and how often are those going to just pop off, pop off and on, you know, for DeAndre Swift, I think that's the biggest. I almost concern. wondered they treat him like a baseball team treats a pitcher. Like maybe the Mets were with Jacob DeGrom, where it's like, okay, we, we got to think about 100 innings from this guy this year, 120 innings. I wonder if the Lions are like, we can't heavily utilize, we basically can't get the 200 inning season on DeAndre Swift. We have to spot him. We have to carefully be judicious about him. And so if I, I've had Swift, I think in the middle of the second round of my redraft last week, and it's nothing against him as a player. I think he's more of a late second round pick now or maybe early third round pick because I think the Lions are giving us definitive clues that are going to cap the Swift upside. Hey, that's fair enough. Uh, he certainly uh, has like been a little hit or miss throughout the course of the season so far. All right, Scott and I are going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to recap the rest of these Week 3 Sunday games. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. 
The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, Scotty, we're back. We got Rams 20, Cardinals 12. Um, couple of couple of interesting ones from this. The Rams, like, they win this game. They never it never quite felt like everything came together for the Rams. Like I mentioned, we're throwing all these plaudits at Cooper Cup, like, oh, he's the one consistent guy. He did only get six targets, four catches for 44 yards. But talk about touchdown deodorant, baby. A 20-yard rushing touchdown for Cooper Cup. He brings it home in that way. Nobody else really pops in the passing game. Allen Robinson has five targets. Oh, he dropped the word. Oh, that, like, drops don't ever usually make me throw up all over my shoes. But that was a pretty rough one for Allen Robinson where he could have just walked right into the end zone. He had just one other big catch throughout there where he got tackled close to the one-yard line. Like I've said wide receivers, it's going to come and go, man. It's going to come and go for Allen Robinson. I'm still like, you know, I think he's going to be a low end too, which is pretty much what he was drafted to be, or even a little lower than that. Cam Akers, interesting case in this one, 12 carries, 61 yards, a rushing touchdown, but also fumbled at the goal line late in this game. Um, We know that Cam Akers has been sort of like, does McVay trust him? Is he trying to like call him out in the media? Blah, blah, blah. Where are we at with Cam Akers after this game where he did seem like he was putting some distance between him and Daryl Henderson? You know, I'm unsettled by him wearing number three because I, I keep thinking, did Odell Beckham resign? I know, me oh, no, too. No. That's, that's Cam Akers. That's, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, shouldn't you be keeping that number warm? Do you want to bring in <laughs> Odell when he's healthy? I will say this about the fumble. I don't know how coaches view it this way, but I feel like there are like awful fumbles and there are just like, oh, the defender made a hellacious play and punch yeah. on the ball. I think in that case, the defender just made a great play. I made a had-to-have-it play because the game's going to be over if Akers scored or even if the Rams get a field goal there. That's pretty much you know murder she wrote. So I don't think it's that big of a deal that he fumbled. And also, man, there are a lot of Daryl Henderson victory laps after week one, and yeah. he's been a wrong answer for two straight weeks. And today's usage shows you that it seems like they want Akers to be their bell cow. I'd be worried that Henderson went from somebody – I kind of thought he was one of those Jamal Williams guys, you know, kind of a boring running back two that would have projectable volume every week. I don't feel that way at all now. Not only can I not start him in some shallower formats, I, th- I you don't want to cut him, but I mean, you may be forced into decisions you don't want to make. So Akers has gotten, after week one, I would have thought it'd take a while. Henderson would really have to screw up or Akers would really have to shine for this backfield to flip, but it's happened really quickly without really those things happening which I think is important to note. He didn't have a huge game, but Tyler Higby caught all of his targets. He caught, he got 61 yards <laughs> receiving. In a year where tight end is garbage, where tight end stinks, where tight end just depresses me, you know, I, I, I want to kick tight end in the gut. At least Tyler Higby, I feel like every week is going to do something. And in a position where it's like, you, maybe you're rolling out Knox and he's not doing anything for you. There's a lot of tight ends. You know, Obviously, the, the Bears, you know, their offense is a dumpster fire. It's, it's just a you know, wet rag time. right now. I don't want any part of that. So Higby, I feel Higby has a projectable role every week. He's the third element in a passing game that has Sean McVay, that has Matthew Stafford. 
They trust him. They throw him the ball creatively. They have plays designed for him. You know, they throw, they'll throw screens to him. They'll throw yeah, quick hitters. Scott, they'll... their best, their best like non Cooper Cup passing play is the Tyler Higby screen right now, and that that's pretty rough to say, but it's true. Like the, every time they, they they get big gains on those plays, and uh, Higby, I definitely think is a guy that was like kind of left for dead at tight end, but is certainly like a pretty decent answer, right? Yeah, now. I mean, we here we just spoke for a minute on Tyler Higby, which speaks to the lesser ex- expectations of secondary and tertiary <laughs> tight ends this year. But there you go. I actually got into a little bit of an elbowing match to make sure I got Tyler Higby last week on a team that had been cold committed into oblivion. So I'm, I'm happy to have Ty Higby. You're not going to win your league with Ty Higby. At least he's not going to lose it for you on the other side, man, the card. And look, I know Hollywood Brown had a great game and Dorch has been pretty playable for three weeks. We'll see what happens when they get their better receivers back. But I just feel like this Arizona offense is like, okay, we don't really have a clue. Kyler, just run around and, and make stuff up. Stuff not being the word I want to say. but And you know, Cliff Kingsbury, he's like Ace King in poker. He looks good, never wins. I know they had that hot streak to start last year. Since then, all they've done is been fool's gold. Kyler is an unbelievable athlete. We talked about last week. He'd probably be the Superstars winner if all the quarterbacks went to Hawaii and did that. But this, they're just making – they're such a schoolyard team. They, they don't yeah, have they really it's are. hard to have any continuity or consistency when you play the way they do. At least you can look at the college connection, the shower narrative, the two Oklahoma guys, you know, connecting and and Hollywood had that monster game. But, you know, Ertz is a catch and fall guy now. James Conner is three yards in a cloud of dust. You need touchdown deodorant with James Conner if you don't get it. Plus, we know he's like a high injury guy. He was questionable to play in this game to begin with. I'd be looking if James Conner had like 85 yards and a touchdown or two coming up, I'd be looking to get out of the James Conner business. I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. I don't trust Cliff as far as I can throw him. I know they get Rondell Moore back soon. I don't know if they have a clue how to use him. They'll eventually get Hopkins back. He's on the back nine of his career. Murray's fantastic. And I can't thumb up my nose at what Brown did today because those stats play. But this offense, I just feel like they I feel like they play like they just met five minutes before the game. It's really frustrating to watch it. Yeah, I thought Hollywood Brown was really good today. Like, um, I For thought sure. that that they did do some screens with him. Um, you know, he made some big catches and, and was pretty good after the catch as well. I thought Brown, you know, after kind of being like uh, a little whatever the first two weeks, this was a really encouraging Marquise Brown performance. I think this offense can look better when they get like DeAndre Hopkins back. Because um, I 100% agree with you. You know, Nate Tyson, Robert Mays, say, Robert Mays from the Athletic Football Show say that like this offense is basically just like, uh, Kyler, run around and go do stuff. Because their scheme stuff doesn't work, man. Like whatever whatever they scheme stuff up like early in the games, it never works. Especially right now when they don't have like all of their talent available. I mean, even AJ Green like got hurt late in this game, which is just like, I mean, for God's sakes, like AJ Green's a bajillion years old. Um at this point, it's it, Kyler is like it has to it has to all come through him. So um, I feel like this offense is Marquise Brown. It's Kyler Murray, and you know I'm a little more excited about James Conner than you are, but only like in a, in a sort of way. Um, for the most part, I'm not I'm not jazzed about what we got out of this game. Um, this like if the Cardinals had actually been able to mount a, a drive or two early on in this game, like and actually punch you know punch a couple plays into the end zone. This could have been a much more interesting game, but it certainly was not. Um, another game that was not very interesting: Packers fourteen, Bucks twelve. <laughs> Russell Gage, baby, just <laughs> caught a ton of little pop gun passes, which I do think was encouraging because he hadn't gotten a ton of great usage so far. Had a really low average up to target. I mean, he caught twelve passes for eighty-seven yards and a touchdown. That's great. Um, but man, 
this this Bucks receiver core, like if you could, if you watch this game and like really isolate on the receivers, it was not fun, man. And I, I get it. Like a lot of their guys are hurt. Mike Evans obviously suspended, but it's like Russell Gage and some just total goofballs out there, man. And I, I'm sure talk about if you gave somebody truth serum, if you gave like Tom Brady truth serum right now, I wonder what he was like, if he really wishes he had actually come back to all this nonsense. Yeah. This felt like an old timers game. Let's be fair. Since the end of last season, Brady has lost Rob Gronkowski, walking Hall of Famer. Today, he played without Mike Evans, who I think is borderline to the plus side of Hall of Fame. Yeah, Julio Jones, yeah, back nine guy, but he's he's going to the Hall of Fame. And Chris Godwin, who is a heck of a good football player, and you could Sorry, argue yeah. maybe the most valuable of those four guys. None of them available today. So he's trying to make it work with Perryman. He's trying to make it work with Scotty Miller. They, they had to use Russell Gage. Like he was Cole peak Julian Edelman. Yeah, you got, why sign Cole Beasley? You know, in one of my leagues, a 14-teamer, I looked at, oh, what receivers are available on Fab? I, I have needed receiver. I saw Cole Beasley. I immediately thought, maybe I should give up on this team. Yeah, I just orphan this team. <laughs> leave it leave it on somebody's porch and hope they pick it up and, and put it in a bassinet and, and can nurse it to good health. Because if Cole Beasley is the number one receiver in my league, I am screwed. I just forget, forget it. You know, I just, just leave me for dead. But, I, you know, the Buccaneers put up a late drive. And then they're trying to get the two-point conversion. And I, normally I'd be like, oh, yeah, I want to see more Brady. I want to see more Rodgers. I'm kind of glad this game ended. It was just sad to watch it. <laughs> Enough. You know, I almost wanted to make a joke about the the losing team had to accept the the, the receivers from the other team. Although at least the Packers, look, Lazard scored a touchdown. Uh, you know, Dobbs. Is, is it Dobbs or Dobbs? It's Dobbs. Yeah, it's Dobbs. Dobbs. Yeah, I should know that by now. Dobbs, he made some plays. I'll just, the U is silent. Um, just when I you know, was like, oh, gee, why'd you worry about Aaron Jones? He had a, a nondescript game. A.G. Dillon hasn't really done anything. Aaron Rodgers, you watch Aaron Rodgers now for the eye rolls. Like three or four times he looks yeah. over to the bench like, oh, God. You know, this is the best play we had. These are the best receivers we have. You know, at least they're finally starting to get an offensive line that's gelling. Let me ask you this, Matt. Which of these teams, both these teams have good defenses, and we have to give them credit. They get paid yeah. too. Which team is more upside as a football team? Which team is more likely to be in the NFC Championship game or maybe in the Super Bowl? Great question, Scott. Um, I think I'm going to go with Tampa because, to number one, they've got, like, reinforcements coming, right? Like, they, they'll get Mike Evans at 100% next week when he's off suspension. Eventually, Godwin will be back out there. Eventually, Jones will be back out there. You know, Gronk will probably come back in, you know, week, week 15 or something like that. But even with that aside, like, Leonard Fournette's playing pretty good ball right now, and their defense is has been really good like from week one to week three this defense has played well I think the Packers if in order for them to still be a contender without Devontae Adams in this new identity their defense had to take a step from okay to to great and you know if they went to like one of the best defenses in the league like now we're cooking with gas that really hasn't happened so far like they've been pretty easy to run on um, they haven't been that impressive to me so um, at this point I think I'd take Tampa Bay even if the, the just the, something about the vibes there, obviously Brady centric and just all like the injuries and stuff feels very weird. And the offensive line too is another thing we have to mention. They're they're severely banged up on the offensive line as well. Some of those guys will come back and some of them will not. Fair. I think I, w I was leading Tampa to uh, Green Bay only because I think their defense is better than Tampa Bay's. But as you uh, said, really, I, I, yeah, I don't know. If we we hope so we hope Green Bay's receiver room will get better. We know Tampa Bay's receiver room is going to get better. And the big problem right now with that offense is probably the offensive line. And that's something that you can figure out answers 
as the season goes along. Offensive lines take time to gel. Look at the Bengals, right? How awful they looked for the first two games. And today, granted against the Jets, they looked like a functioning offensive unit. I think you need to give it. The Patriots did this for years. They had Dante Scarnecchia, this unbelievable offensive line coach. They would have a lot of seasons where they pushed off slowly. And then by October, Scarnecchia had answers and the team was playing together like a cohesive unit. And so maybe we need to give Tampa Bay some time to find that, those answers as well. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. All right, we got some news uh, as we're recording this podcast. Patriots believed that Mac Jones suffered a high ankle sprain and could miss some time, according to Tom Pelissero from the NFL Network. Um, the MRI is, of course, going to be on Monday, uh, but this could end up sidelining him for a couple of weeks, so keep that in mind. Uh, all the like, oh, maybe things are coming together for the Patriots. Well, not if Brian Hoyer is going to start. At again. least he's a, he's a non-running quarterback, though, because a high yeah. ankle sprain is a death sentence if you're a player who needs to cut and needs to change direction. At least Mac Jones is basically a, a pocket quarterback, so I, I don't know. I, I think he might have a ch- more of a chance maybe to offset this th- than you know, Jonathan Taylor would or Cooper Cup would or somebody like that. But um, as somebody who turned his ankle a few weeks ago and I've, I've been struggling yeah. with it, I've been I've always been questionable, right? But I've been, I've been questionable <laughs> to the side of doubtful the last few weeks. You don't want me running routes, although I do have very reliable hands. There you go. And, well, uh, hey. Good, good catching still- radius, Matt. Some of these receiver cores out there might be able to use you then, Scott. Um, we'll talk about the, this game because we've been, I feel like we've been wanting to talk about it for a little bit. Jaguars 38, Chargers 10, and boy, it felt like it. Every time I looked up, I was like, do the, the freaking Jaguars just always have the ball in this game? I mean, the Chargers could not possess the ball. And the biggest you know thing coming into this game and coming out of it too was Justin Herbert's injury. Like, they really took this thing all the way down to game time in terms of his Justin Herbert He's going to be active, but is he even going to play? Then he started, he played, and he played really late, late into this game, too. Um, when they were down, like, four scores, Brandon Staley said after the game um, he wanted to be out there with his teammates. <laughs> Duh, Brandon, but, like, I mean, come on, bro. Like, he obviously does not need to be out there. I thought that was crazy. I, I said on Twitter, like, no, you guys misunderstand. He needs to be out there to continue to practice to throw to a bunch of receivers who don't win uh, their routes, who don't get separation, throwing a bunch of tight coverage, short targets. I mean, this Chargers offense, I, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to like pick Eckler's brain about this this week. We'll see. But like, I tell you what, man, this, this Chargers offense is a rough watch, bro, because like they don't run, they're not running the ball. Well, that's right. That's for sure. Austin has talked about that on the show, like that their run game is not coming together. And without Keenan Allen, man, they have a bunch of dudes who just don't get open. I mean, Mike Williams is, is still a, a really good player, but he's not a separation guy. I, I'm not sure about Josh Palmer, like as much as some fan, other fantasy analysts like him. I don't know about that. Um, he's going to put up points because he's attached to Herbert, whatever. But this offense is 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 a rough, rough watch. Um, and and I did not like that Herbert was playing that late in this game. It made me kind of question the entire operation. Yeah, this game made me angry. First of all, just to reiterate what you said up the front, blowout game, this was a spanking. You would have thought, if you didn't know any better, if you, if you hit watching this game with your you know non-football fan grandmother or something, she'd be like, oh, the, the favorite team is the Jaguars, right? They're the Gotta team be. that's expected yeah. to be the Super Bowl contender, you know, not the you know, World Series contender. Maybe she'd call them Stanley Cup contender. The Chargers, <laughs> and I'm not the first person to make this point, and I, I wish I could, again, point to somebody who probably clued me in on this. For a team that we talk about, I talk a lot about the depth of the roster, which I do think it's a deep roster. But it's a slow receiving group. Keenan Allen yeah. is slow. Mike Williams is a contested catch winner. And, and man, talk about touchdown deodorant. He caught one pass today. It was a touchdown. <laughs> so at least instead of giving you a total brick, it's more like he kind of gave you like a rock. 
you know, but he, he didn't totally ruin your week. He just kind of sullied it. Yeah. But the Chargers screwed up. Herbert sh- probably shouldn't have been playing. But even if you decided to play him, even if he said he was fine, even if you put the whatever medicine in him that you do to let him play in a certain situation, once this game got lopsided, the fact that the Chargers were trying to compete and throw and use primary guys late in this game when they're getting blown out, where the one guy you can't replace, the one guy who immediately torpedoes your season if he's hurt, and by right, by the way, he's already hurt, is on the field taking hits, that is irresponsible. That is stupid. I thought when look, I like Anthony Lynn as an assistant coach, I thought he was a really miscast as a head coach. And I thought when they brought the Staley staff in, I was excited. They said they were going to use Eckler in the Ivan Kamara role. They did that. Eckler had a great season. I like the roster build. What they did today was, was just irresponsible. And it's it really frustrating because Justin Herbert is one of the futures of the NFL. He's obviously the future of this franchise. And what are you trying to do? The game is 38 yeah. to 10. Get on the bus. Run dives into the line. Run the clock. The chart, you know, the Jaguars are just going to do the same thing. That They're not going to have Trevor Lawrence out there taking hits. And you have a quarterback who's already injured. You're stupid to expose him. There's nothing to gain from here. You can only lose from it. So, man, you get a... I picked the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl for the season. Maybe it was a cute pick. Maybe I just didn't want to pick Buffalo. It, it sounds pretty dumb. Of course, I also picked the Eagles. That sounds pretty good right now. Whatever. It's week three. Who cares? But the Chargers going to show me something. And this coaching staff has to show me something because I thought they hired a, co- a plus coaching staff. And, and now I'm not so sure. And I wonder if their decisions with Herbert today show signature significance. You can't coach that way. You can't expose that way. And unfortunately, they're not going to be able to get that field stretcher. And, you know, nobody's going to, it's not like the Eagles are going to trade them Devonta Smith or something like that. They right. need like some version of what Deshaun Jackson used to be. They need somebody who's like, oh crap, we can't allow a 75 yard touchdown in every play. They don't have that guy. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a Staley skeptic. I'm a pretty big Joe Lombardi skeptic based on how this offense has been called the last two years. You know, just they've got Justin Herbert and they treat him like, you know, declining Drew Brees. It's it's very weird from a pass distribution standpoint. And then obviously what happened today was just crazy. We talked a lot about the losing team. Um, let's talk Jaguars here real quick, man. Yes. I mean, talk about player that needs a podcast. Like there needs to be like a Kirk corner for Christian Kirk to just dunk on uh, everybody uh, who doubted him all year. Another touchdown on nine targets. And you know, Trevor Lawrence looked great. I think he's looked on balance. Great all three games this year and James Robinson, dude. I mean, Andy at one point said like, he looks like vintage James Robinson on FFL this morning. I'm like, James Robinson is like, this is only his third year, man. And it's just crazy how good explosive and just so much juice he's playing with right now, obviously coming off the Achilles injury. Yeah. I thought he was a lot more explosive today than he was before this week. I actually threw out some positives about ETN because he had a lot more efficiency juice than Robinson before week three, but Today, we did see the the great version of Robinson. I talked about the struggle to find right answers for fantasy managers and on fantasy rosters right now. Christian Kirk goes down as one of the, oh, yeah. You know, why why is this team in first place? They they drafted Christian Kirk as like their receiver four or five. And and right now he's playing like a two or maybe even a low end one. Also, give it up for Zay Jones, man. 11 targets, 10 catches. Yeah. Has a touchdown. They they got a touchdown out of Evan Ingram. You know, uh, actually, it was called back. So the Ingram touchdown was wiped off the board. But Marvin Jones scored a touchdown, though. Yeah, yeah. Lawrence, I mean, look, we, we, I think everybody saw this, right? I mean, horrible coaching staff, a generationally bad coaching staff. Doug Peterson has his fans. He has his detractors, but he sure looks like a major upgrade over Urban Meyer. Lawrence looks night and day with the confidence. And the lesson, and I'm not the first person to say it, I'm sure we probably said it in previous weeks, so what if they overpaid Christian Kirk? The point is Who they cares, prioritized yeah. Christian Kirk. 
with an ascending quarterback who was ballyhooed as like, you know, the once a decade quarterback with a mature coaching staff. It seems I, I know all the stuff seems so easy after the fact, but Christian Kirk was just underdrafted, mad underdrafted all season. Scott, you somebody. could argue that Christian Kirk uh, like was a double win for Trent Balky because not only did he, he got, you could say overpaid, but he got a good player, right? I mean, for his quarterback who desperately needed it. And I, I still think that the Kirk contract started like the, the avalanche of all these wide receiver contracts, which eventually got Tennessee to trade away at A.J. Brown. So it's like a double win in the AFC South with the Jaguars. So next week, next week, Matt, we get the Super Bowl preview of the Jaguars at Philadelphia. Oh, look at that. Oh, man. Yeah. We can't, I think is it too early to flex this game? That, this, this deserves to be a Sunday night game, man. I need yes, to get myself some Christian Kirk and James Robinson in prime time. I mean, give me a break. I'm with you, buddy. And uh, just last note on Jacksonville. It really is kind of a, an example of how much coaching matters. I mean, Doug Peterson, You, I watched this game from pretty much start to finish today on one of my screens. And you could just see the entire game. Like D Doug Peterson, from a play calling standpoint, from an offensive design standpoint, had Brandon Staley on the ropes all game long. I mean, check me. Let me throw in one more thing. Everybody's always looking for a buy low. And Robinson's a hot guy right now. Kirk's a hot guy right now. ETN did have 16 touches. Yeah. He is active in the pass game. He was, he had some splash plays the first couple of weeks. He really wasn't doing them today. We talk about, like with the Patriots, right? How important it is to get from three backs to two backs on a team. This team is very narrow with their with their usage. Robinson's their, their bell cow. Robinson's their pounder. But ETN, there's going to be games where they fall behind. Although, man, I'm surprised how just frisky that Jacksonville defense is. Lord. They really probably should have beaten Washington in week one, too. Embarrassed the Colts and, Char and Chargers the last two weeks. A lot of people are probably looking at this Robinson thing as like, oh, well, ETN's just a fraud, whatever. He's coming off a major injury, too. He's. I would go to the ETN team. If somebody has ETN in your league, and not many teams have a lot of running back depth, it, it feels like we're all scraping to put together starting running backs. But maybe there's an ETN team out there where he's down on the depth chart because they've found answer. Maybe they have Jamal Williams or whatever. Maybe they've drafted well or assembled well. I'd say, hey. You have a pretty good running back room. I'd like to maybe get one of those guys, and maybe you can sneak ETN at less than what his true value is. I'm not giving up on him. Well, he's probably never going to, like, for folks who drafted him in the third round, by the way, they're probably pissed at taking ETN, so it might be even more go. reason to try to get him. He might never return that value, but who cares? Like, he'll be fine for you if you try to. So that's a good call, Scott. And, you know, if anything ever happens to James Robinson, he walks into a feature role there most likely. All right, we'll do speed round on some of these um Games oh, yeah. that don't need a ton of takeaways here, especially Panthers 22, Saints 14. I'm sure Matt Rule's feeling good about this victory. Oh, me, you know, I was mean to Matt Rule. Everybody's been mean to Matt Rule. They needed a defensive fumble, like return touchdown, and the most random LaVisca Chenault 67-yard from the line of scrimmage and beyond, he ran it all the way to score that touchdown. This passing offense still looks terrible. DJ Moore, one catch, two yards. I mean, he's probably the most frustrating early-ish round pick at wide receiver. Um, but on the other side, man, Chris Olave looks like he's the next breakout rookie. Nine catches, 147 yards. You could see it coming on film when when you watched him. He looked great. He's getting a ton of downfield usage. And Scott, I'm 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 ready to say like I I know that Michael Thomas has had his moments, but the like injuries keep kind of cropping up for Michael Thomas. I think Chris Olave is the number one receiver on this team because I think he looks, by the way, he just looks so, so much better than Michael Thomas right now, too. Right. Yeah. Last week, it was all the air yards. Sometimes Michael Salfino calls those prayer yards. But what does James <laughs> yes. Winston want to do? 
YOLO balls, press the ball downfield, be aggressive. That plays into what Olavi does. We're always asking ourselves, can we find receivers whose skill sets match what their quarterbacks are good at? That's why one reason why St. Brown, who's a great player anyway, works so well in Detroit because he matches up with Jared Goff. Well, Chris Olave, who runs by people, matches up with James Winston, who never th- saw a deep ball he didn't want to throw, whether or not the guy was open. Olave will be open plenty, but a lot of times it's going to be like, well, make a play, get a flag. Let's hope something good works out. And that's bad news for Landry. It's bad news for Thomas, who hurt his foot in this game. And by the way, Alvin Kamara, I know he didn't play one week. He's got 19 yeah. receiving yards. They talked about wanting to scale back his receiving role. I don't think Winston is the, the point guard distributor that a, a player like Kamara needs. I'd be really worried about him. You mentioned DJ Moore. He right now is the biggest wide receiver brick who can't blame injury. I mean, you know, CD land managers can at least point to, well, Dak Prescott got hurt. You know, I, that changes the calculus. It's not really CD's fault. Some other guys have fallen into injury, but I, I was with you. When you put out your hot take of your hot prediction of, you know, DJ Moore would lead the league in receiving yards. I know you're just saying it's a plausible <laughs> thing to happen. It wasn't your budget. <laughs> I don't think it's it. going to happen. <laughs> I thought I loved it. I thought it was a great call. Uh, I, yeah. Here's the point. Here's the point. DJ Moore for me was proactive, was green light. I thought Baker Mayfield would make this offense better. And right around Baker yeah. Mayfield saying to me, oh, DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey are too good to fail as receivers. Watch me. Dare yeah. me to take oh the ship God, down. Yeah. I'll do it. I know we're supposed to be going speed round. I, I, you have to bench DJ Moore until he does something. He's obviously yep. too good to cut. You can't trade him right now. You get to bench him and then bitch next week or whenever it is when he <laughs> when he invariably goes six for 119 in a touchdown. He's too good not to do that eventually. You can't play him until he shows you something. Yep, 100% right. Um, I was even kind of telling people that today. Like, I'd rather him go off on my bench than put him in my starting lineup at this point. Fair. And, and we're definitely there now. Um, Titans 24, Raiders 22, 0-3 start from Josh McDaniels. Don't love to see that. Matt Collins epitomizing the uh, why why you never want to say, like, hey, who else is going to catch the ball? Like, Hunter Renfro goes down. Who else is going to catch the ball? Devontae? Well, somebody, there can always be a somebody else, right? And Matt Collins was just somebody else today. Eight catches, ten targets, a crazy game for Matt Collins. <laughs> um, and then on the Titans side, man, Derrick Henry, 25 touches, 143 yards, a, a touchdown. Might be just the Raiders stink. That's certainly possible. Raiders got a lot of problems, man. But uh, yeah, it might, might be the answer for Derrick Henry on this one, but certainly was a good sign to see for the big dog after a pretty troubling week coming out of that Bills game. Nobody ever thought Derrick Henry was Marshall Falk or Tiki Barber or somebody, but Danian Tomlinson. But I always felt he could catch 50 balls a year if they wanted to prioritize it. And today he caught five balls. And this yeah. is an offense that doesn't have answers right now. Robert Woods kind of miscast as a one when he's really a two. Traylon Burks only had a couple of targets today. He had one really bad drop. He's eventually going to be a good player. I'm, I'm interested in him long term. They need easy plays in the passing game. And an easy play to me is getting the ball to Derrick Henry in space. And for once, letting him get, get tackled by the lighter defenders on the field, not the heaviest defenders. So I feel like, again, I'm not saying that Henry is some special player as a receiver, but he's capable. You flip him the ball, he'll catch it, and he'll run over a couple of people. They need to do more of this. This was a Mike Vrabel game for me. After they got embarrassed last week, they show up, and maybe the Eagles are frauds, and and maybe McDaniels is showing why he's just one of those, you know, Wade Phillips types, or he's one of those Norv Turner types, miscast as a head coach, but a really good coordinator because the, the Raiders are just an embarrassment right now. I know they, they had Arizona dead and buried, and then the Cardinals somehow stole that game. Kyler, you know, stole it for them, despite Cliff Kingsbury, who 
I have no, I, I wouldn't try. I, I tweeted, I wouldn't trust Cliff Kingsbury to order a pizza for me. I just have no faith in that guy. But I want to see fair. more Henry in the passing game. There's been times before where they've used him, and then the next week it's like no targets, one catch for two yards. That could fade away at any time. This Matt Collins game looks like one of those games that where I, I just think it's it's a one-off. It, it, not that I'm going on any limb to say that. This is like the Nelson Aguilar last week game. Don't throw any fab at Matt Collins unless you're in a 14 team an up league it's not going to happen again they'll get renfro back a really bad drop for waller in the end zone for some reason they targeted oh, adams yeah. a lot couldn't get that going and man they need that if you drafted adams as the you know, some people might have drafted adams i think i might have done this at least once instead of stefan Diggs. man does that look like a wrong answer right now not that adams is bad but Diggs and allen look so safe right now where the raiders it's just hard to watch them i'd be trying to get out of the josh jacobs businesses if i if i could i think this is a five win football team Bengals 27, Jets 12. I feel like this is like as expected. Um, the Bengals got right. You know, that's great. The Jets still have an awful lot of problems. Zero touchdowns for the Jets. Um, Garrett Wilson got banged up uh, at certain times in this game. Um, you know, it was just he came back out was fine. They're still playing him a ton as a slot receiver. You know, we'll see what happens there. Um, it, yeah, the Jets. I don't know, man. I, Joe Flacco drops back to pass on like 50 times in this game. Yikes. Like like he always does, right? I think he threw 59 <laughs> passes in week yeah. one. I had him on my sleeper list because I thought he'd have a huge volume game. I just thought maybe with Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson, Tyler Conklin is wants to bust into the tight end you know, one room. Maybe he can be tight end 11 or 12 going forward, which shows again how much that position is hot garbage. But I was hoping that some garbage time would be open for the Jets or just like, uh, well, Flacco wasn't efficient, but he threw a lot of passes to talented receivers. It ultimately didn't turn out that way. What's strange to me is that the Bengals controlled this game. They got the offensive line under control. Only a couple of sacks, no turnovers. Burrow you know, probably didn't have to launder his shirt after the game. And yet nothing came out of it, right? This was touchdown deodorant reek for receivers. Devontae Adams, touchdown deodorant. Mike Williams, touchdown deodorant. Jamar Chase, at one of his quiet games. We've talked all of this podcast about receivers of high variance position. At least he got you the touchdown. Joe Mixon kind of went nowhere. But the bottom line is this. The Bengals have a narrow usage tree. We needed them, the offensive line, the gel. We needed Burrow maybe to be more, more confident in the pocket. Quarterback sacks are a lot about the quarterback in addition to the offensive line. Even though the Bengals didn't really bust out in this game, at least the one glaring problem they had is on the road to being fixed, and that's positive. We can feel good about that. Other than that, I try to rewatch as many games as I can. I am not going to rewatch the Bengals and Jets. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, maybe don't rewatch this one either, Scott. Bears 23, Texans 20. Um, number one, man, Justin Fields. I know he's not surrounded by a lot. This is, it's not like even from an individual standpoint, not promising at all so far this year. Um, Khalil Herbert looked very promising. Like they kind of started splitting things between him and Travis, like uh, Ebner, their, their, their rookie running back. Not at all. Like after Herbert just started playing really well, 22 touches, David Montgomery's day to day with a lower leg injury. Obviously, we know that Herbert is like the waiver wire ad of the week. If he is on waiver wires, Damian Pierce has his breakout game. That was kind of easy to see coming. And you can just go ahead, like, I think I'm at a point, Scott, with like the Texans, and this even extends to Brandon Cooks, who has overcome, you know, who's been like steady as hell every single year. I'm ready to just be done with the Texans passing game because I don't think they look very good throwing the ball either. I was hoping that Davis Mills could be good enough. I'm losing faith in that. Although they've oddly been competitive in all their games. They could they are like three or four plays away from being three and zero, but it also speaks that some of the teams they've played and how poorly those opponents have played. Pierce was good. You know, I thought Pierce 
in the first half, I was like, here we go. We're going to get like 140, 150 yards. They really clamped down on him in the second half. A lot of people speculated that maybe Herbert's better than Montgomery already. And, and this game certainly made a strong case for that. Man, the Bears offense is, is just a dumpster fire. It's just it's just a, an oil rag. And look, I think everybody gave up on Cole Komet a week ago. Maybe we have to give up on Darnell Mooney. How are you going to make a living when your team won't throw, doesn't trust your quarterback and your offense to throw 20 passes a game? And the problem is the Bears are winning, right? I, I was hoping last week losing to the Packers would be the accelerant to change some things. But now this new coaching staff, you know, teams – you might say, well, play for the upside, play to build a championship contender. What do you care if you go nine and eight or eight and nine, you know, but head coaches don't think like that. They need to no, have yeah. job security. They're thrilled that they're two and one right now. Yeah, they, they and they, they, they may be misguided enough to think they're actually doing a favor to Justin Fields by not ex- letting him learn. And, and they didn't, you know, they have this offense that's so boring and they don't have enough people who stretch the field and all that stuff. But they're making a mistake, man. They're they're following a bad process into a ditch, and they're letting the one loss record continue that to happen. Komet was a drop last week. I mean, Mooney. I, I gave Mooney away in a league where I needed a receiver, and I'm I, I don't even remember what tight end I got for him or receiver. I I, maybe I got a running back. I, I forget why I traded Darnell Mooney for. It doesn't matter. The point is, I don't expect to miss him because I don't see not that he's not a good player. I don't think any receiver can thrive in the Chicago offense right now because they're two and one, and they think they're doing the right thing when they're doing the wrong thing. Falcons 27, Seahawks 23. Hey, the Falcons won a game and Kyle Pitts was the target leader, baby. Thank you, Arthur Smith. Uh, Look, this is is kind of the type of game I think we can expect from London and Pitts if they're both going to play well. Uh, London gets into the end zone. Great touchdown catch. God, he looks so good. Um, And they did scheme up some looks for Kyle Pitts like they had been scheming up looks for Drake London um, in the first two weeks. So... I think those guys are going to sort of go back and forth every now and again, even though this was a good game for both of them. If you started, if you started either of these guys, you're feeling pretty good about it. CPAD had a couple of monster runs in this one. Um, I think he is, you know, he had a whatever second week. He's pretty much an every week start at running back. Like I doubt you have three running backs that you feel better than Cordero Patterson at this point. And if you do, uh, you're, you're a lucky fella. Uh, or lucky lady and um, the Seahawks offense is, is the Seahawks offense, man. I don't know how, how much more to say about that. The Falcons are actually a pretty tidy fantasy team. I mean, cause yeah. this, this game was all about four guys. It was all about Patterson running wild. Mariota ran one in and most of the targets went to the two guys. We want to be targeted Pitts in London. Of course, the one guy of the four who doesn't score the touchdown is Kyle Pitts because there'd have to be like a senatorial hearing for Kyle Pitts to score a touchdown in America. Just tell me the Falcons play in London again so we can play Kyle Pitts on that day. But this was the hey, day did you, you see there was like a the game stopped for a minute because there was a rand like a an unauthorized drone. drone. That was the that was actually the U.S. government coming in and making sure that Kyle Pitts was not like he he's not allowed in the end zone in this country. So that was well, he must have an end zone sure. allergy or something, and and they, they had to make sure they had the proper equipment to tend to Kyle Pitts. Oh, good point. The, the thing with Pitts is no no matter what your level of sophistication is as a football fan, you can watch him and he looks like the father-son father who's trying too hard against the 11-year-olds. He's bigger than everybody. He's faster than everybody. At least a step in the right direction. I, I guess you get to walk before you run and yet, or you have to jog before you run, whatever, whatever it is, whatever metaphor you want. It's going to happen for Kyle Pitts. Tight end is a skank position. So just, just keep running them out there and at least understand that the Falcons have extremely narrow usage. We can feel good about that. And you know what? The Seahawks are hard to watch, 
but they, they double digit targeted the two receivers we care about. Yeah, Will yeah. Disley has to score touchdowns because he's like the spirit animal of the Seahawks. But at least you can play. It's, it's not as much fun as it used to be, but you still play Lockett and, and Metcalf with a fair amount of self-respect. I mean, this game gave us 50 points. I mean, you know, Tampa Bay Green Bay looked like nobody was going to score. Miami and Buffalo was kind of a little bit of a dud. I mean, we this, this game actually brought more fantasy juice than I expected. Yeah, and, you know, at running back for Seattle, Rashad Penny put himself like a pretty decent bit ahead of the other guys. I mean, Ken Walker did catch three passes on three targets. Um, DJ Dallas is involved in the passing game. We know Travis Homer's a guy that's going to play in the passing game as well. So there, it's a weird backfield in Seattle. But, um, you know, if you have to start a Seahawks running back, your team's not probably not very good. But I agree. It, with it's you frustrating, that. though. It's frustrating, though, that they spent so much draft capital in their running back room. And yet their third down back is probably Homer. And yeah. he's not one of the guys you invested in. It's just right. you're not assembling your team in a smart way. Very peculiar stuff there. But I agree with you that I thought that Lockett and Metcalf are probably more like best ball guys because I think they'll have their weeks. I think they're going to be harder to to figure. This was a pretty good week to figure, though, against a Falcons defense. So I agree with you, though. Falcons, tidy fantasy team. We love to see it. All right, Scott, that's going to do it for us. Uh, a ton of games. Um, what do you got to for the people to read and check out from you on the website coming out of Sunday? Yeah, I talked to uh, Booms and Bust, talked about some of the bricks, some of the big name guys who didn't come through. We threw a lot of hosannas at Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts as they deserve. And then if, if you read just one thing in this piece, go to the bottom where I do the bolted content. I do the quick hitter observations. I'll, I'm sure I'll rehash a lot of the stuff we talked about today. But that's my Monday piece. We'll go big picture on Wednesday. We'll do sleepers on Thursday. And I also like to pick out throwing darts. We're 4-0 today, man. So we're 10-4 and on the season, although we're probably going to lose with the Broncos tonight, which would make us 10-5. and But we've given you three straight winning weeks. And, uh, you know, we're just making it out here, grinding out grinding out wins, grind, eating Ws, uh, trying to make some money for the people. All good. There we go. We love to see it. All right. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. It would greatly help us out. And I certainly would appreciate it. If you don't like the show, as always, remember everybody's not for everybody and you can just let me know personally on twitter and we'll agree to disagree and we'll go from there andy barons will be back tomorrow on the podcast with some excellent advice for this week's waiver wire until then we're out One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.